I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You know I've been talking about earned media value for quite some time on this podcast. My friends at Eisenberg have just raised the bar on earned media benchmarks with their social index. Social Index now gives you globally earned media values across a growing list of six geographies for all your KPIs across the top seven social platforms, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Snapchat, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube. You can now visualize these values for deeper analysis, and they have a look-back window over two years of historical comparisons. Social Index is updated daily. Don't get stuck with old data. Over 1,000 companies have used the Social Index to understand the ROI of their social campaigns. And if you work with a social agency, you should demand they incorporate earned media values into your reports. Get your earned media value for social content. Visit earnedmediavalues.com slash Allen. Again, that's earnedmediavalues.com slash A-L-A-N. For all of us, it's about predicting where the consumer is going and getting half of it right. One of the things we want to do is create ads that don't suck. Embracing change creates great possibility. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Today on the show, I've got Rob Holland. Rob is the CEO of Feedback Loop, a technology growth company that provides an agile research platform for rapid consumer feedback. He's been obsessing for about customers over more than 30 years, scaling businesses across CPG, retail, digital media, and marketing technology, and most recently, the research industries. He's worked for companies such as Oracle, Data Logics, and the Nielsen Company. On the show today, Rob and I talk about Feedback Loop, Agile research, what it is, how it can be applied, and some actual case studies with Farmers Insurance and their new venture, Toggle. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Rob Holland. Rob, welcome to the show. Hi, Alan. Great to be here. It's nice to have you. I always like to start with something a little personal, maybe just to get to know each other a little bit better, like, and for listeners to hear your story. Where'd you grow up? I'm a native New Yorker. I grew up in Staten Island and spent... Uh, time there through high school before going out to the West Coast with my family and then going to university and, uh, and running off into the professional world. So native New Yorker, born and raised and um, super excited now because I'm a lifelong New York Mets fan and Steve Cohen's just bought the team. So I'm really excited about that too. 
That sounds awesome. I didn't know the connection to Staten Island. That's funny because my wife's family, her, yeah, I guess both sides actually, uh, her family's from Staten Island, her, her dad in particular, and they're typical Staten Island, like Italian type family. If you can, if you picture it. I can picture it. I am it, actually. (laughs) That's funny. That's funny. Yeah. So uh, one of most of her great uncles are passed away, unfortunately, but there was this one guy, Uncle Rudy. He didn't want to cross Uncle Rudy. I'm pretty sure he knew people that worked for cement companies, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about your path. You're now CEO at Feedback Loop. What was the path on your journey? I know you started in finance and had stops in CPG and different, different types of industries. Give me a little rundown if you don't mind. Yeah, you know, so I think uh, there are really two threads on my my career path. One is I've always been connected to some to the consumer in some way, working with consumer packaged good companies like Clorox or retailers like Safeway, a bunch of time with Nielsen working on consumer data and market data, and then moving over into the startup world with ad tech and martech, where it's all about personalizing ads and personalizing consumer shoppers for purchasing on marketing MarTech. So winding up a feedback loop, it's just a a natural progression of my experience working with consumers. On the functional side, I started out as finance, corporate finance and operational finance, moved into marketing analytics because we were working with lots of data and numbers on the finance side. And then that transitioned to market research and running uh, database products over at Nielsen and moved into more of a product role and then started running into more general management positions in startups. And it's kind of taken me where I'm at today. Interesting. Talked to a number of folks recently on the podcast that kind of had that early finance background and um, are now in marketing or related marketing functions or whether it's GM roles or otherwise. Curious, did you look back on that as a as an asset or do you feel like I'm sure it helps you in your day-to-day job as a as a CEO, knowing the knowing how how finance works. But I'm just curious, like if it felt natural to go from finance to product to GM and et cetera. Yeah, I was the type of finance which could be very broad. I was very much an operational financial planning and and or manufacturing operations or logistics. So I was very much connected to the operations of the businesses. So, um, but what it was definitely an advantage. I really uh, noticed it quite a bit when I took my first product job at Nielsen and I was running, I was running um, a lot of the products for Nielsen's uh, panels and, and databases. And I understood, I truly understood how the products made money why I could understand why they'd be value propositions for our customers. I could understand how the investments we were looking to make to improve the product would help the business. And I was able to really make that connection so that I was able to, to integrate that into my product expertise and really drive that. And also, actually, really, one of the side benefits was I was able to speak the CFO's language. So I was able to get the resources I needed to do what I want to do with the products. I had an advantage because I understood how the cash worked and how the company made money and why my investments were going to be good for the business. So it was great from a commercial perspective and it's great from an internal perspective. And it, it really was one of my X factors. Yeah, I can see that for sure. I mean, it's definitely understanding the levers. You described it as the, the way in which the money, the company makes money or those levers that you can pull from a financial perspective that marketing or the product itself can influence. It's key. 
it's key. And uh, I hope listeners are listening. <laughs> it helps you get budget. So it's, it's, it's good to, if you don't have the skill, find somebody who does and be their BFF because it will help you tremendously get the resources you need. That's the too long, don't read. <laughs> awesome. Well, let's talk about a feedback loop. What is the company? What, what do you guys do? We're a tech company. Our technology is an agile research platform that provides rapid consumer feedback. Awesome. And who do you guys serve, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah, we are primarily geared towards two audiences. So our technology simplifies the whole consumer testing and feedback process by eliminating about 30 steps down to about six. And so we work to serve product teams, marketing teams, business teams who want to do their own research. And we work with research teams who want to be more agile and also support businesses who are moving more towards agile business and product development. Got it. Okay. I know since you joined the company as CEO, you guys have rebranded, I think shortly after you after you joined from Alpha as the name of the company to Feedback Loop. I'd love to talk about that, like what drove that from a, just looking at it as an outsider going from Alpha, if you will, to Feedback Loop. It looked like you're broadening the scope of what of decisions and points in the product journey that you could influence, but love to hear what your rationale was. Yeah, it's really an evolution of our whole origin story. So our founder, uh, Thor Ernston, he was a coder and he was a gaming coder. And one of the things that he, and he, so he, was, he had embraced agile before agile was even big. And one of the things that he saw as a problem in the market was the ability to get rapid consumer feedback. So he felt he saw the opportunity to create a platform that would provide that directly to product teams that were agile product teams and in a way that they could kind of go around or uh, short circuit and get the, the information they needed and the data they needed so they could make better product decisions faster. So it was really very focused on upper funnel, alpha, even pre-beta, so alpha type product development. And that was really where the beginning of the name Alpha originated from. Over time, our platform has evolved and it is not just an Alpha platform for agile product teams, although we play very much in that space, understanding user discovery and basic concept testing and doing some comparative testing, et cetera. But as we really uh, grew with our customers, the type of testing we do for rapid consumer feedback really fits in all elements of the product development cycle or the innovation cycle. And we also started to engage researchers more and more as well. And they were not just concerned about pre-beta testing. So we would just kept pulling ourselves into more broader use cases with bigger audiences of customer profiles and big, more use cases. So we, um, we got to a point where Alpha wasn't really descriptive of what we did, and it really wasn't as clear. So we wound up, especially as we started to get bigger in the market, we'd have to explain it, and it just didn't really fit with where we're going. So what was interesting was we we would constantly be using the words with our customers and internally around feedback, customer feedback, feedback between consumers and business teams, feedback between business teams and research. And so feedback and the loops we were creating were just very obvious. And so we, we were able to just step back and envision as we go to our next chapter and really look to expand out our platform and expand the use cases. We decided that it would be really impactful to 
rebrand around a broader set of use cases. How we uh, landed on the decision, and we um, were able to simplify our and be more direct in our communication and simplify our value proposition to the market. So you've talked to the feedback loop concept and this rapid consumer feedback that you're able to generate through the platform that you guys have developed. Currently, I'm in a research role myself. I've done research all through many parts of my career, but I probably say that I'm more of a marketer than a researcher. And I'm assuming that the early impetus for the company was to move faster than the research department (laughs) could move. That's obviously the research department's most good research departments have now caught up to the agile framework and and are trying to expedite the learnings and insights that they generate themselves and makes sense that you guys are now encountering those as stakeholders inside your accounts, et cetera. As you've been building this platform and been operating this market, like has it changed at all? I mean, other than the fact that like you've expanded the feedback that loops that you're interacting with and you're supporting, do you feel like research in general is changing? Oh yes. And 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 that that's happening without a doubt. And it's really also impacting the way we are evolving our positioning because the market is constantly changing. COVID aside, what was happening five years ago, people were talking about digital transformation. They were talking about agile, everything. They were talking about generational uh, migration and and technological advancements and all this happening in these big thematic uh, pushes that were really changing consumers consumer expectations, behaviors, and business models. And that's real. And all that requires a level of agility that is really, uh, it's something people have been talking about, but it's really taking root. So the biggest problems we have, for example, for our ideal customer profiles are the product or business teams. They're moving so fast that they have to make decisions flying blind. And the research teams, if they're even supporting these businesses, they just can't, they're having trouble just trying to keep up. And those are two big problems that we solve. And really the whole concept of agile research is evolving and taking shape around those big core problems in the market. And that's exactly where we're focused on helping to develop that out and making it, making the concept of agile research tangible and real, and not just an expression that says, boy, move faster and just keep doing more work with the same or less resources. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Well, I can imagine like the move fast component to the typical traditional like market research person. And I can sympathize and sitting in a role like that now (laughs) move fast. I always remember that phrase. I think it's been made famous at Facebook or somewhere move fast and break things. It scares the bejesus out of me, you know. (laughs) So let's talk about how you guys define like what is agile research look like? And how do you speak to it? How do you talk about it? At its core, Agile Research provides directional guidance early and often to guide decisions that might otherwise be made by opinion or rank rather than data. And so it it really uh, eliminates dependencies and friction that can slow down traditional research. And it trades off a bit of precision, which may or may not actually matter, for useful feedback that enables rapid learning and iterative improvement. So it's, it's, it's small chunks quickly. And the, the greatest, ana- one of the best analogies I use is, um, I'll use a windshield wiper rainstorm analogy. So imagine you and I are going, we're about to go out and I'm, we're going someplace and you know, we met at Google Maps or, and everything else, we're, we're going on a road trip. And you know where we're going and I've never been there before. And I'm going to follow you, even with Google Maps or, or Navigator, I'm going to follow you. 
And we start going in and it starts pouring rain out, pouring rain. What do we do? What's the first thing you do when the rain is, is, is going, even with a map? So you know where you want to go. You turn on the windshield wipers. And the reason you're turning on those windshield wipers, which, by the way, just swipe and clear the rain and then the rain's back and swipe it, is to give you intermittent rapid feedback on what's going on in front of you so that you could stay on the road, follow the car, stay on the path that you've set, and you don't veer off and let something bad happen. And that's really the best agile research allows the business users and the research teams to operate in that kind of a manner. So it gives you enough information that you could take the next step and the next step and the next step in an informed manner. Yeah, I really love that analogy because like it works for obviously works for both sides of the equation, right? The product marketer or the marketer and the researcher. Because one, it takes the pressure off the researcher to design the most elegant study that they've ever designed in custom research, right? Because <laughs> that's not what it's about. It's about just getting me enough clarity to make a decision to move to the next decision. And from a product and marketer standpoint, it is about getting that clarity in the moment and at the moment you need it before you hit the ditch, so to speak. I really like that analogy. I haven't, hadn't heard that one before. Yeah, you know, and it's it's funny because the other thing, which is also part of the, the play on our name feedback loop, we really do create strong loops between the research teams and the business teams, uh, the marketers, the brands, the product teams, the innovation teams that are that are driving, spending the money. Because what happens is, these teams really do want to operate quickly, but they need to have some protection and some guide rails. Think of the buffer zones when you take your young kids bowling so that they can still operate, but they're, they're still protecting. And research teams have a fiduciary responsibility. They get a bad rap because they, they are conservative by nature. They're there to inform, but they're also there to protect the business. And that's an important role. And what our platform does is takes the principles of Agile, applies them to research, automates processes that take time and effort and cost money so that we can increase the speed, but puts enough parameters and boundaries around them. And there's enough research rigor behind them that the types of testing that you're doing on the platform and the types of data you're getting can be controlled in as centralized or decentralized manner as your corporate practices allow. And it allows movement within the company quickly and cost effectively. And it really does open up avenues to do really great things. Yeah. I mean, it sounds, it sounds, uh, it sounds pretty nice. I mean, and I'm envisioning in terms of like how the platform works that you've got, like you said, these like predefined modules or maybe think of Lego blocks <laughs> that I can execute against and with minimal effort, either a product person could do it and the guardrails have been predefined by the research team or in concert with the research team. And that that's been democratized, if you will, within the organization. Or if I'm more of a control hungry researcher, you know, I can, I can push the buttons myself, but it, it makes me faster and meet the speed of the business. That's exactly right. Okay, good. I got it. I got, got it. it. I'm going to pitch on some sales calls straight away. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad I got it. I'm glad you got it. So let's talk a little bit about like, uh, give me, I know you got some great customer examples. I'd love to hear about one of the companies you guys have worked with and their ability to implement or, or benefit from this agile research approach. Yeah, you know, it's funny. We work with companies across many different industries or verticals or sectors. Uh, we work with big, very established companies and startups. So really, if a company has 
the need and the ethos for agile and their consumer facing in any way, shape or form, we kind of fit the bill. A great example is one of our premier customers, uh, Farmers, uh, the insurance company, which is over 100 years old. And Farmers operates a lot of their, their core business has been developed through a very extensive agent network. So you go to your agent, you talk to them on the phone, maybe you go to their office, you have a lot of paperwork, and you build a relationship for decades. What we saw is massive disruption coming from generational shifts, technology changes, changes in consumer expectations and behaviors. And we saw you, you saw in the market a company you may be familiar with, Lemonade, which created an app for renter's insurance. It was geared towards younger millennials and um, Gen Z, and it was to really bring the whole concept of renter's insurance to a whole new generation of people, delivered a totally different way. And that was an amazing success. And it was a shot over the bow for, for established companies. And so Farmers uh, created a new world, a new ventures group. It was basically a startup inside the company. They created a brand called Toggle. And the, the idea was you were able to go and create the same version, leveraging all the infrastructure that Farmers has, but putting a whole new direct-to-consumer spin on it and going out and, and competing in the market. And in the course of less than a year, I think it was around nine months, Toggle was created. They carved off a team. They got a budget and they were going after it. And they part, we partnered with them. They licensed our platform. And over that period of time, we ran over 250 tests, talked to over 100,000 customers to help them optimize and build the product. And that is something that they took to market. It's one of the fastest growing products in their portfolio. It was an effective response. And now they're leveraging that offensively, saying we have all these other insurance products, let's take it out in the market. And we were there to help them figure out things from branding to language, to color schemes, to how do you talk about what's most important to this generation, call out as the main features of the messaging. And it was a, it was a crazy successful example. That's awesome. That's a, by definition. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Mission, an example of a, a tried and true company launching an entire new business model and then using insights to drive the business decisions and the product development along the way. And the lemonade, you know, shot across the bow. That's a, that's a purely interesting company too. I had a, a tangential exposure to it because 
I think around the time they were launching, I was actually working in Durham, North Carolina at an agency that was literally shared a wall with Dan Ariely's Center for Advanced Hindsight group. And Dan and his team was working with the Lemonade team on like the consumer behavior aspect of, of how people buy and risk sharing parameters and things like that. So I actually got to see some of that research that they were doing as well and hear some of the stories secondhand. But yeah, no, that's a phenomenal story about Toggle and uh, and farmers' ability to adapt to the marketplace changes. Yeah, and, and the need in the market has never been greater. These things were happening regardless, but with COVID, virtually every human on earth, literally, is going through down changes in the, and their behaviors, their expectations are changing too. And that means longstanding axioms need to be it at least they need to be revalidated. And if you're working on assumptions and you're not really understanding what's going on, you run the risk of either seeing your business, you put major risks to your business that are unanticipated or threats emerging that you don't see, or you miss massive opportunities to take what you have and and, and get offensive with it and, and move forward. So the whole idea of getting rapid consumer feedback to solve rapidly changing needs in very dynamic markets has never been greater. And it's not we don't see any reason to believe it's going to go away anytime in the future. No, no, I would tend to agree with you that there's so much uncertainty <laughs> in the marketplace right now. If you're a marketer and trying to sell anything, the channels are disrupted. The consumer behaviors are being forcibly, you know, regulatedly disrupted on what they can and cannot do. So yeah, I totally agree. Totally agree. Definitely a need for fast moments of clarity as you make decisions when otherwise you would be operating with that that dirty windshield. <laughs> I was just curious if there's any other points or advice or examples you wanted to share before we switch gears. I think just to play on the opposite side of that, we're also working with a company, Rhino, which is a startup in the space, and we're helping them go to market for the first time. And that's a great example of how we it's this is a universal problem that can work multiple ends of the spectrum. We're working with CPG companies, who are doing some work with cleaning products and trying to figure out how these 100-year-old brands can reevaluate and and really reconnect with consumers. We work with media companies because streaming is changing media consumption. And there's a whole bunch of, in the entertainment industry, of trying to understand how consumers are going to go back and watch movies. So like it's literally endless, the, uh, the possibilities, transportation companies, everything is changing. And I just think, as your audience knows, the job of a marketer, the job of, a, of a, anyone who's in business is really to figure out what's happening in your market and how do you respond to it to defend and also take advantage of opportunities. And rapid feedback has never been more important. And we are trying to make that as easy as possible to get to as quickly for as many people as possible. Yeah, no, I mean, as you describe it, I mean, even industries where, to your point, you've made this point, but it's hitting home with me, is that even industries where there were understood truths, right? Like an example, maybe restaurant business, right? Like, of course, I need to have a clean environment for when customers come in. But I think given what we've gone through, what we're continuing to go through with now new lockdowns, and this is going to drag on into the middle of next year, those industries, I mean, there's simple questions like, what is the best signal of cleanliness? Like, what do consumers want to see for me to demonstrate that I have good hygiene practices and that I'm you know, adapting to the situation to invite them back in. 
just on the very simplest question, right? Like, how do I signal that I'm doing my job, my part to keep them safe? But even to your point, like media companies, the, I mean, new consumption behaviors, <laughs> I could end of one with me, my wife and my daughter. I mean, the, the number of like new shows we're experimenting with is unbelievable because we try to get some entertainment and I'm crossing platforms like I've never done before, you know, where I may have always been in Netflix just because it's been there. Now I'm experimenting with Apple TV and all these other things that are available to us just on our TV set tops. Yeah. Everything's been accelerated and, and it's, there's no putting that genie back in the bottle at the end of the day. So it's an exciting time. It's terrifying and exciting at the same time. And, uh, and that, that makes it interesting and that makes it fun. Yeah. I'm glad there's companies like yours that are helping at least make it easier to get clarity in ahead of big decisions or, or decisions you're trying to make to adjust in these times. Well, let's switch gears. Like I said, we, we always love to get to know the person behind the microphone. My favorite question to ask that listeners know is, is there been an experience of your past that defines or makes up who you are today? That's a great question. And I, my default knee-jerk answer is um, I moved around a fair amount into neighborhoods as I was growing up. And that sort of gave me a flexibility. And then when I was in the middle of the tail end of high school, my family up and rooted from Staten Island, they moved to Southern Cal and we went to LA in the Valley and um, we had to settle down. And that was a big uprooting. And you can imagine a 17, 16 year old Rob was not very happy about that. And, um, but what I, what I learned from that was I learned that you can be really pulled out from your roots and put into a new environment and you can adapt very quickly. And ironically, that, that's not, there's no like connection here to to feedback loop or what we've just been speaking. But what it did was it proved to me that you can adapt and, and that you can always grow. And I've really leaned into that my whole career. If I really reflect, I've taken big, big um, changes. I've gone companies, I've changed career paths and just being comfortable with change. That's been a real game changer for me. And, uh, you know, it's something that it really does. It does create a framework that I operate under ever since. Yeah. I mean, I can't even imagine being a, in high school in Staten Island, going to the other coast. <laughs> the culture shock alone would uh, would kill some people. Well, I was like the karate kid without the karate. <laughs> yeah. There you go. There you go. Yeah. No Mr. Miyagi to help you, I guess, either. <laughs> it's Ralph Macchio. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. What advice would you give your younger self if you're starting all over? As much as I love the change, I also would tell myself, don't be afraid to move even faster and take more calculated risks. A good example of that is I've had a great career and I've done work with phenomenal people in amazing companies. And I've done international and U.S. work and I've done different functional work. And I've worked with some of the best companies on the globe. But I, the last 10 years, I, I made the transition from big corporations to venture-backed companies. And I absolutely love it. I love the whole, the whole thing. I love the pressure. I love the fact that if you don't come to work for a couple of days, things that are really important don't happen. And it took me two thirds of my career to really embrace that. And I kind of looked at it from afar for probably about 10 years before I took the jump. And just don't be afraid. It's going to work out and trust your instincts even a little bit more 
as you take calculated risks. Yeah, that's good advice. I, I like the calculated risk part too. <laughs> <laughs> that's the uh, the financial planner exactly. or financial planning coming out. <laughs> What's the assumptions on that that risk? <laughs> that's awesome. This next question is kind of a silly one, but I kind of like some of the answers, and I build my shopping list from time to time based on what people say. So curious if there's been an impactful purchase of $100 or less in the last, say, six to 12 months for you. I'm going to talk about something that I've actually just done very, very recently. I found a product called Agendio, agendio.com, A-G-E-N-D-I-O.com. Not a paid plug. It is a fully customizable planner. This is a geeky thing, right? So, but I'll, I'll tee it up. So I was getting ready to buy my calendar for next year and I wasn't my, the way I'm working has changed so much because I'm at home. I needed to really just create something different. And I wasn't pleased with anything I had. I wanted to simplify the process. I wanted to just get, make it really rote so that I could get into better routines. And I, I stumbled across them and I spent a little bit of time configuring it. And I've created myself an integrated planner workflow that is changing the way I, I operate like profoundly. And, it, and it, you know, for under a hundred bucks, you can do it. And it comes to you. Uh, it's all, it's all service. So it comes online in and it's just changed my life. <laughs> I love that. I've got to check it out. I've never seen, I've never seen a customizable planner, but man, that would be helpful. <laughs> Cause I've seen people, I, I still haven't found my rhythm yet on my own, like ability to do this in my journal, but I've seen people, you know, use journal blank journals and divide pages in certain ways. And, you know, they use that to keep track of what's going on throughout the day and the follow-up items, et cetera. And they, they've worked out this perfect system, but I would love to have a templatized version of something like that for myself. That's exactly what I've done. And uh, yeah, so check it out. That's awesome. Yeah, I definitely will. Definitely will. Two more questions for you before I let you go. More on the marketing side of things, I'm curious if there are any brands or companies or causes that that you're following or you think other people should be taking notice of. There's so much happening on, on the the brand side. I like to watch almost stalk a few brands and watch and see how they're evolving and how they're they're growing. And you know, I'm gonna talk about big brands that everybody knows, not not really I could go on the niche side as well, but I'm watching Apple continue to evolve. They're in this period where they're they're really not creating as big of brand new products and the products they have penetrated and mature, but they're still able to create something that resonates emotionally and functionally to people to get them to upgrade and to move forward. And they just do it so gracefully that you don't even really know that it's happening because it's become they've become such a brand, a brand that's so part of everybody's lives. And I'm just continually impressed by that. But they really do add value every single time they release something as well. So whether it's speed or it's a slightly more user-friendly UI or it's a new service. And I just, you know, I watch them. I watch Amazon and now Prime becoming such a big brand across so many parts of our lives, particularly with stay at home and the change to, to remote everything. And now the Prime is its own brand and you see trucks and planes. And it's really just amazing how they went from selling books 25 years ago to literally the most pervasive company in the face of the earth right now, physically, logistically, not just virtually. And it's and there's no slowing down. So 
I'm watching them and I look for patterns or just themes and I'm watching how they're building their brands, even when they're established. And, and it's just a great thing for a well-known and established brand or a, a company that just rebranded like us last month, the feedback loop and how do we take that to market? I think there's a, a lot of lessons in there. Yeah, I agree with you. I know the Apple one, I hadn't really paid a, a ton of attention to them recently, to your to your point, because it hasn't been big launches. You know, there's no new iPhone, so to speak. I mean, like, I mean, there is a new iPhone, but you know what I mean? Like, there's no iPhone that they've brought to the world recently. But to your point, like they just continuously surround their consumer, whether it's you know, the Apple card from a financial services standpoint, the Apple TV I, I mentioned earlier, I hadn't given that a try until recently. And it's a pretty slick service. To, it's very Apple-y. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, the Amazon and the Prime side too, like, I mean, there's not a given... <laughs> probably says way too much about me, but there's probably not, I probably, we probably don't go three days without a an Amazon delivery of some sort. <laughs> and you're right. The interesting thing I, to me about Amazon and some of the others, I put Elon Musk in this camp too. He drives me crazy, but like Bezos and, and Musk, and there's others in this list too, but it's interesting that they've gone from digital and virtual technology, right? Like things you can't touch and feel to the most almost like the industrial revolution again with the things that they're doing, right? Like the distribution networks, the trucks, the airplanes, the rocket ships, <laughs> you know, they've gone from the digital to the, the real, real, if you will. <laughs> and I hadn't, hadn't given it much thought in terms of the size and scope of that, but definitely big pushes in that direction. It's so true. And I, I think it's part of the maturation of the digital, of digital transformation. It ultimately integrates both. And you see it, you see it in the example we talked about with Toggle, you see it everywhere. That's how you know it's really maturing and really getting to mainstream. And that's why it's growing so fast because it's getting to a point like a car, you just have to put a key into it, not even a key anymore, push a button and start it. And you don't have to know anything about the car. You don't have to know it's digital or it's analog. You just it just is now. And that's when you hit that tipping point, you go to the the late majority in the markets. And that's how companies just explode on these growth curves. And it's happening so naturally to us at this stage that it's it's remarkable. Yeah, 100% agree. 100% agree. Well, last question for you. What do you feel like is the biggest opportunity or threat for marketers right now? Can I get a little potentially controversial without <laughs> uh, trying to take any sides? Yeah, you can go Staten Island on me if you want. Go ahead. <laughs> right, so maybe I'll start talking like I my native tongue. Um, there you go. There you go. <laughs> I think there's a third rail out there for marketers. And it doesn't matter where you sit on the overall spectrum. I'm not going to get too political here, but left or right. Everything seems to have to have so much purpose right now, a deeper purpose, that if you don't agree with that purpose, you polarize major segments of the market that are just equally good people with just different perspectives and points of view. And it's taking the fun out of so many things and it's forcing marketers and brands to take sides in places that they really have no real need to get into. And I think, I think it's a very dangerous place to play and we see great brands and great organizations getting wrapped up in the middle of this. And at the end of the day, we're all people, we're all human. We have differences of views on some things, but it really, just be careful of dragging 
your brand, your company, your your business into these waters unless it's really, really critical to what service or product you bring into market because I don't know how you steer out of it. And I see a lot of a lot of companies getting themselves in trouble right now. No, I hundred percent I'm on board with what you're talking about. And it, the recent, you know, we're recording this right after the election. For those that are going to listen to this a little bit later when it airs, it came to light as you look at the electoral map in the United States, right? And you see the red and the blue. And there was a great digital visualization done, a couple of them actually on LinkedIn I, I was looking at, where you know, one was instead of hard red and hard blue, they shaded it and kind of a red to blue spectrum. So you saw, you know, like actually most of the country's purple. And then there was another one that showed kind of like the density of red and blue based on population, because that's actually where people vote. It's not that there's like these huge red land masses out there that make it look bigger than it is because there's just fewer people in those areas. And it was looking at both of those, like to your point, like there's this notion of we're allowing ourselves to become more and more polarized. And obviously that's going to seep into many, many decisions, including things like purpose and taking a side or taking a stand as a company. But I do feel like there is this this need for all of us to stay centered and focus on what unites us or what brings us together. And from a marketing standpoint, I feel like that's where the massive markets are, right? <laughs> that's, that's where you can get get that growth that you're looking for is on what brings us together, not appealing to one side or the other. It just just makes it complicated. And and there's a time and a place for positions and, and whatnot, but it just it's just some things just can be safe spaces for everybody. And I think that's to your question, I think that's the biggest one of the biggest threats. And it is an opportunity too for marketers today. Yeah. I've recommended this book before to listeners, but I'll recommend it again just because I think it's a great, if you're a marketer and trying to figure out this issue of where to take a stand and how to do it and not get yourself into trouble. There's a great book by a friend of mine, Peter Horst, called uh, Marketing in the Era of Fake News. And it's, he has a great, if you don't read anything else in the book, there's a great framework that he uses that talks about, you know, it really starts with the not putting your head in the sand, <laughs> but figuring out what what your true values are that a business has, right? And then working your way out from there to the level of comfort that you have to step into these these areas, right? Like, but you've got to start with what your company lives from a value standpoint before you can go take a stand on an issue, right? Because you need to make sure that your values, you know, line up to those things that that you're going to take a stand on. Yep. Couldn't agree more. Rob, I've really enjoyed having you on the show and uh, look forward to following the company. Thank you, Alan. It's been a pleasure and um, it's been a great experience. So I'm glad to be here and uh, thank you very much. Hi, it's Alan again. Marketing Today was created and produced by me. If you're new to Marketing Today, please feel free to write us a review on iTunes or your favorite listening platform. Don't forget to subscribe and tell your friends and colleagues about the show. I love to hear from listeners, and you can contact me at marketingtodaypodcast.com. There you'll also find complete show notes with links to anything we talk about on any episode. You can also search our archives. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. 
That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.